it's a lovely fucking sport. Are you going to talk about that at all on air, Matt? No, oh, Matt. It's about not all my medals on USPSA website? No. Uh, <laughs> anybody, all right. Not Welcome to Practical man. Shooting After Dark. We're here to talk about shooting. Well, you guys know the deal. Everybody comes here with a topic, something fun to talk about. On deck tonight, we have Mr. Hopkins. Hi. We have Mr. Kim. Hi. We have Mr. Park. Hello. Oh, guys, I'm very excited because you guys know I've promised you some sauce for this show. <laughs> you have promised, promised you. some spice. I've <laughs> promised you some, some spice. So I'm going to read you a letter that I got. Um, and, uh, well, I think it should spark an interesting discussion. Hey, Ben, I've been catching up on some old podcasts and I heard you guys talking about the RO problem. Last year, I fell victim to an overzealous and incompetent RO and gave this some thought. I know the odds of the beard implementing any of this are next to zero, but here are my suggestions. Number one, make becoming an RO mandatory for maintaining membership after a given time period, say one or two years after joining. Failure to become an RO in that time period would result in an inability to shoot level two and up matches until that requirement was met. Number two, stop charging for RO classes and task members would still supply their own ammo but not pay for the class. USPSA has the money, but if they're too cheap, they could add the annual membership fee, the $5 or whatever minimal amount it would take to fund this program. These two steps would provide a broad field of ROs, make the sport safer, and ensure there are Almost always qualified people on the timer and scoring targets at level one matches. As it is now, people pay for the privilege of volunteering to work for free. And this system uh, can attract a certain personality type that seeks power. Think mall cop, security guard, hall monitor. It seems that many of the active ROs are not the most accomplished shooters. And this might affect what they think they are seeing. Making it mandatory and included with the membership would both dilute the pool of weirdos and also push better shooters with better overall understanding of the game into the RO pool. Number three, we should prioritize slots for majors, giving preference for points accrued during the previous year using a predetermined point system based on major matches worked. This would provide incentive for more serious shooters to volunteer to work majors. It would provide a much larger pool for MDs to choose from so they wouldn't have to settle for subpar ROs or have trouble staffing matches. It would reward those who commit to the sport. Yes, all this would require greater commitment from members. Could cost USPSA nonprofit model some par- some profit, <laughs> which is what, it's one thing we know they care about is the making sure that they, they make their money and possibly hurt membership and perhaps shrink attendance at majors. But in my opinion, these could all be good positive things for the existing and committed USPSA membership and the sport in general. All right, guys, reactions to this. I don't know if everybody or a lot of people being on the RO will make the sports safe. I kind of doubt that because I have an experience. So I'm a certified RO. And when I took the class, so the, the program was you take this, you know, like a seating uh, lecture kind of thing. And the next day uh, you shoot together and you RO each other. And our class happened to have a real match. So we just simply squatted together, all the class members shot together. And then the first person I ROed, I DQ'd due to unsafe gun handling. <laughs> the very first hour. On purpose? Does, does anybody sitting here believe that uh, putting, putting people through a two-day RO course makes them a good RO? No. Does anybody believe that? No. None of us. All right. So I like you. The guy who wrote this letter, I know him. Look, I like you. But this is... This is BOC thinking. This is how BOCs think they uh, 
It's always your fault when they're fucking up, honestly. It's always your fault. So we, <laughs> this is a way of blaming the It's like, what? It's like our fault for, for not being our hoes. Like, no, that, that is, that is crazy. Uh, what we need to do is uh, start at the top. Well, how about this? Do all of us, do we all believe there to be an RO problem? Is that in any controversy here? It could be better. In this group? No, you guys aren't saying anything. I mean, it could, it obviously it could be better. I mean, has it, well, what track would you say it's been on in, say, the last five years? I would say it's probably on the downhill, like on yes, the downhill side. I think side we of would it. all agree that things have declined substantially, especially at major matches. Yeah, especially at major matches. <laughs> it's a problem. It's actually like for this reason, not it like not interested. Like for me, I'm like, yeah, whatever. Like not not in not that I'm not interested in major matches, but as far as like going and really like going all in on the sport and like. Do, going to like training hard and going to nationals like get the fuck out of here like honestly that's that's my opinion um you got I mean, whatever so i agree there's a problem but this is not the solution uh this is the uh make people get their points and like forcing them to that's, be ours like that no. points thing is absolutely horrible id idpa it's tries horrific. it right now it's horrific and they literally have national champions that don't qualify for their national championship because of their point system. It's horrible. <laughs> yeah. It, um, it look, it's not have, good. Like, like the we cannot do that at all. The people at the top. And this is not my view is that being like, we can give you a class and that makes you a good RO and that ROing should be a dipshit job. And again, I don't think ROing is a dipshit job. I don't think you can teach a class really on how to be a good RO. That's kind of something either someone kind of has it or they don't. There are some personality types, as is correctly identifies, certain people should not be ROs. And what we should do is hold the ROs we have to a standard and stop making, like, stop letting the attitude prevail that it's a dipshit job because it is not. It's important to have really good ROs. You can't force, you mean, obviously, you cannot force people to volunteer to be ROs. You can't force people to be good ROs. Uh, we can't assign points to it. It's an attitude thing, and uh, it starts at the top. So, the, <laughs> so let's look at NROI for a second. If we have a bad RO, uh, Matt, what's the procedure? If we have like a guy who's a real problem RO, well, there is a form you can fill out, like an RO incident form, and you turn that into USPSA. Yes, there is. There's an RO incident form. So that's an important thing that we have. Whereas if somebody just should not be on RO and we need to hold them to a standard, like we have a way to uh, report that to NROI. All right. Next question. Have you guys, uh, <laughs> let me put it this way. Do you, do you believe that such a, such a report will be taken seriously by anyone at NROI? I've actually turned two in at two separate times in the last 13 years. Yes. And I've heard zero outcome of both what? of them. Hello? What's that, Matt? I've heard zero outcome of both of them. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it, it's it's a uh, protectionist sort of attitude. Even saying these sort of things, like if we had the, the, the heads of uh, NROI, like all the range master instructors there, and we said, hey, RO's on, being, ROing is on the decline the last five years. That's our, that's our assessment. They're not as good as they used to be. Um, I'm sure that they like they would take 
no accountability. They wouldn't even acknowledge the no, issue. They'd be very, it'd be very offensive to them. Yeah, they would be offended. Oh, they, they might volunteer. It's like, that's it. All right, well, let me tell you guys a little story. This reminds me of young Ben. Young Ben, uh, when I was, a, I mean, I was a kid when this happened. I remember I was at a park and somehow I got roped in to being a ref at a softball game, which I don't know anything about and don't give a shit about. And what do you guys think happened? You let them do whatever they wanted. No, I was like, when I was a kid, no, I didn't let them do whatever they wanted. I remember I was like, I, oh, then you hammered down on them on every single thing. No, I don't know anything about the rules for softball, dude. I didn't hammer on anybody. I remember I blew a call, like, like a runner went to second base and I, like, I blew it. I, I couldn't have, like, I didn't know if they were, they were out or they're safe. And I should have. And people got pissed at, at kid Ben, young Ben here, because I was fucking up. Honestly, and they held me to a standard. Were they wrong to do that? No, they were right to do that because, like, they honestly they demanded like good officiating, and it, it wasn't like I didn't like come at them with, "Oh, I'm a volunteer." Like, it was none of that. It was like, "Yeah, I really fucked that up," and I stopped. Uh, and I stopped refereeing, but like they demanded somebody do a good job, and they should have. Like, what we need to do is demand these people do a good job. And it starts at the top. And just like we know the personalities involved. You're sitting here and you're like, yeah, they would be offended if you criticize them. It's like, well, now it's pretty obvious where the problem is. It's at the top of the organization, not at the bottom. We should be encouraging people to be good ROs. We should be training ROs, of course. Um, but this is not the way. This point system is it's cunty, frankly. Like this is not the way <laughs> to do it. We're gonna, we want to bring we want to encourage people to be good ROs. We want to hold accountable the bad ones. And we want to make sure that it's not like we don't view it as a like. And again, USPSA has been all about dumbing down ROing because they think that you're dumb. They think everyone, like the people running NROI, think that everyone is dumber than them somehow. And like they can't like do critical thinking or whatever. They they can't understand equipment rules. Unenforceable. Can't. No, we yeah. can't have any of this. People are too stupid. And it, until that attitude changes. The situation's not going to change. At least that's my assessment. Any reaction to this, guys? Yeah, I have one thing I actually liked. Uh, what uh, the organization did was they started making Vimeo videos. So NROI was there. Uh, like the the top tier ROs were in the video uh, discussing or explaining about certain rules. And I really think uh, I, I'm aware that the uh, Frontside Magazine has the NROI section and there's some rules discussed. But to be honest, who's, who's going to read that? Uh, people nowadays, the newer generations, are more of a online media content addictives, addictives. So I think the Vimeo video, I think it was a fantastic idea, but I don't think it was pushed hard enough to make it more frequent. And I, the first couple ones, I saw good discussions under the commentaries, comments. But I, I don't know when was the last time I saw the video keep coming out. I don't know if they stopped making it or no, it's they just... they still do it. They still, still do, do it like it. every month. But there's mm -hmm. literally no publicity on that. So, like, have you seen anything in the weekly blast from USPSA on that? Like, is there anything that points people to that? I think that's where they're failing. Like, the videos are good. They do explain really well. Like, mm -hmm. it, they're very professionally produced. Like, they're... They're good. It just yes. no one knows to go look at them and see them. I don't think the issue fundamentally is that people don't understand the rules. I really don't think that's an issue. 
I mean, especially as often as they change things, there's always going to be confusion or whatever. And the, yeah, they put out the rule changes, but I just I don't think that's the issue is not that people do not know the rules. That is sometimes an issue, but not really. That's not that's not uh, that's not our problem with overzealous ROs. Here's here's an example. Uh, well, I've talked about this before. You guys remember the Nationals where uh, uh, this is maybe 2017, where on one stage there's an RO. I mean, he must have punted 25 people. Mm, yes. You remember this? I got yeah, really 17? pissed. Yeah, yeah, it was. Utah. Yeah, in Utah. So situation was day three, we roll up to this uh, stage and we've been hearing stories. And like I, I watched one guy get DQ'd and I was just like, no. No, so you see an RO's over here where he can't really see the muzzle's direction. He's calling somebody on a close 180 call, uh, which which wasn't. And the CRO's in the back of the stage, um, can't see what's going on. And over the course of this, like, I, there's no doubt. Like, I saw other videos and saw other stuff that went on. Lots of people got DQ'd that shouldn't have been. Lots. It was infuriating. It was totally unacceptable. But the last check on that was uh, with the director of NROI. Like, as you know, the range master comes down for every DQ. So could you imagine it? All these people get smoked, and it's like Troy never, never even occurred to him that there was some problem here or that the RO might be in the wrong. You know what I mean? Like, it never occurred to him. It didn't matter. And it's like, when that's, when, when that's the situation, we're at our biggest event... You can have an RO acting that way, and you have the head of the NROI letting it go on. When the right answer there was, hey, the CRO shouldn't be an, a range officer anymore. Hey, this range officer shouldn't be a range officer anymore, period. You better pull, the, you pull their credentials right there. Like, it was maddening, and they do nothing. The default setup is where they back the RO no matter what, and then take yes. action after the fact. Yes. If they do. Yes. There's like, nothing there's wrong been issue, like the one most recent people accountable. that I remember is uh, an RO at Area 3. Joel probably remembers this person. I already know exactly what you're going to say. Yeah. yeah. So, like, and everybody was like, that dude is, like, DQ'd 10 people already from this exact spot. Like, we all knew it going on to the stage. So we're like, okay, we're going to hold our gun up here and then do the thing with the other hand up here so it's blatantly obvious like it can't even be construed like no matter where the person was at on the stage and like we all saw where this person was calling dqs from and it's like you could have the gun in this hand and two feet to the left this hand but from where he was standing it looked like it was yeah. swept and like it wasn't even close so it was yeah and again matt those situations they don't ever get addressed it's it like was, you, it was not addressed at the match. I believe it was addressed after that. And what the way? way they address it is they just don't ask that RO back. <laughs> so that's not fixed then. The RO should no, be I an mean, RO. Period. I'm sure he's an RO somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> they just, I, I mean, don't even know where he is from, actually. And again, it's, it's not like like most ROs are cool, but like it's it's the the bad ones that they don't do anything about it. That discourages I mean that discourages a lot of good people from wanting the job, frankly. And, uh, you know, what are you doing there, Joel? Nothing. He's answering my question. <laughs> oh, okay. That, that issue Matt's talking about was the talk of the match. I walk up to people. Was. I walk up to people that I haven't seen for six months. Like, Hey man, how you doing? I'm like, Oh, by the way, did you hear about this? I'm like, Oh <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've heard about it. 
Well, anyway, I do hope the situation gets better. But before someone starts busting heads at NROI, or they're at least willing to admit that there's a problem, that they need to be a part of the solution, yeah, it's not going to change. That's my opinion. Uh, Mr. Kim, let's yeah. talk about what you want to talk about. Yes, I have a show and tell. <clears throat> oh, amazing. Sorry, I yes. apologize for my coughing. Got a little bit of the Rona. <clears throat> so for YouTube uh, viewers, I am holding a meal meal replacement. So uh, it's plant-based stuff, uh, high protein, some vitamins, not overloaded. But basically, this is something uh, I looked at on the internet because I've been... I've been carrying icebox all over the place uh, until now. And that bringing icebox, my gun bag and all that stuff, I didn't like it as much. And I was also researching into something simpler to eat at the match because I don't want to eat the barbecue over there and get really um, food coma and all that stuff. So I found this meal substitution or meal replacement on the internet. It's, it looks pretty good. How it comes in, is it's actually in a water malleable bag. So it's kind of like a capsule. It, it looks kind of like a detergent, dish detergent. You just pop it in the water and shake it. Uh, it's perfectly uh, <laughs> sized. So this is something I'm going to be experimenting this year to just drink that as a meal substitution uh, rather than trying to snack out all the time. Uh, one, I've not shot a match with it yet, but so far I've taken it a couple as a meal for lunch before shooting live fire and stuff. Uh, one thing I noticed is my energy levels just very steady. Uh, it's not like I'm feeling full or food coma, nothing like that. So I really liked it. But then one thing is my stomach doesn't feel full. Not necessarily I'm hungry, but it just doesn't have that feel stomach feeling. So that's something I want to uh, experiment a little bit if that's affecting anyways in a uh, like eight hour match kind of thing if you shoot major match. So this is something I might recommend if I've heard already from other top shooter, uh, he said he's just drinking protein powder. Um, he carries a water jug and just pops it in, drink that whole thing. Uh, but I'm personally a carb eater too. This has some carbs in it too and fiber and all that stuff. So I think this was more balanced. So I would recommend people to like have a good meal plan and simpler the better. Can you fly with those? Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of like a protein powder. I would just put it in a Ziploc bag, um, and that should be good. Uh, I also sense. like that you mentioned you're trying this while you're not at the middle of a major match. Thinking exactly. like, oh, oh, I've heard this meal replacement's pretty good. We're on stage two. <laughs> Let's give this stuff a try. <laughs> I'm behind, so I need some caffeine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like that's not a good idea. Like, no. oh, I normally don't have caffeine, but it is match day. I better have two monsters. Yeah. Nope, that is not a good idea. <laughs> so the, the product name is called Vade Nutrition. So if anybody wants to check, but it doesn't have to be specifically for this. You can just find any like protein, high protein meal replacement. That should be good. Uh, the, uh, the bag it's in is kind of interesting, I think. Yes, that makes it really handy because I don't want like powder going all over my hands or anything like that. That would be terrible. And also, like, uh, I don't want to have perfectly measured cups into a bag and like put it in and like spill some of them. And now it's out of 
out of uh, just think ground. though you could you could do that you'd be like no i gotta sit out this next shoot or i'm measuring my protein powder out so <laughs> exactly. after i clean my mags i get my protein powder all ready to go and then i'm good to reset <laughs> yeah all right mr park what do you got i like it uh well it's it's uh show and tell it's it's i want to talk about the mags i use for dry training uh, this might seem like common sense to people on this panel. No, but it's definitely I, not common sense. You I can assure you. There. Keep pumping can, it out. I can assure you it is not common sense to most people I come in contact with. Um, so I use separate magazines for dry fire that are what I use for competition because these get dropped, thrown, stepped on, and beat up. So I don't use these for competition or practice magazines that I've retired. But the important part is that I load these full of dummy rounds and they just stay loaded. So it's uh, since I reload ammunition, it's a empty case with no powder, no primer, and just a bullet seated on them. And they're loaded to the correct capacity for my division. Uh, it sounds really dumb, but when you put the appropriate weighted magazine, just like I use in competition in my gun, drawing it from the holster, it feels a lot different. When you go to do a reload, your hand snaps down to your mag pouch, you grab that magazine, bring it up to the gun. The amount of effort that it takes to move that magazine to your gun is a lot different. Um, having a bullet on the end to, like, I suppose, guide it as opposed to just feed lips. I mean, everything, it's completely different. So um, if, you know, you have magazines from, like, practice, you're looking to retire, just making a couple of those. Or even, I don't care, if you have to use your practice magazines and load them with dummy rounds every time you dry fire, it's well worth it. Because, like I said, the way your gun handles, even target transitions, pushing your gun around depending on your division, if especially if it was limited or open or you know even production for that matter. Um, the weight's different in the guns, the amount of effort you need to push the gun, how the sights start, stop, all that stuff, it's way different. So um, this year, you know, ammo being the way it is, it's quite important that when you're doing your dry training, you make it your gun feel, your magazines feel as close as you can to how they are in competition because obviously that's what we're training for. 100%. Makes a bigger yeah. difference when you're loading up capacity like Joel, you're just always good stuff. about putting out good information aren't you it's stuff that i see a lot of my topics on training group are just people i come across and to me i'm like oh i do this like what i'm like you don't know about that i'm like oh <laughs> it's like people give me my content but like especially i mean for me even personally doing reloads like when i first started you know i'd take all my magazines put them on my belt and i'm just like go through them like man and then you put ammo in it it is way different because with no ammo, like the magazine just whips out and it's like super light to throw it around. Um, but it doesn't feel anything like that where you're in a match under stress. You want to reload the gun quickly. So yeah. anyway, you're in good habits. All right. Well, we got the who's the last man? Questions. Questions. Oh, yeah. Questions. Well, we've already went quite a bit. So let's do questions. Oh, Matt, you just didn't bring a topic, did you? I had one tonight without any prompting. I Admit it. Pretty good. Admit you. No, you don't need a topic. No, I've, I've, I've been guilty of this on numerous occasions. Well, we have an important and relevant question for you. Some people talk about verifying their zero before attending a major match. How often will your zero change if you're using the same ammo based on different areas of the country? Oh, this is easy. Go so ahead, Matt. Iron sights, it literally never changed. Yes. I play the optic, once I got it sighted in, it literally never changed unless the optic broke. When I flew to matches, I would shoot the gun to verify nothing broke during transport. But it did not change from that. Unless the optic broke. That's the only thing I've noticed. 
See, that was a pretty easy. That was a pretty easy one. What about you, Mr. Kim? For PCC, it's pretty uh, more affected, for sure. Yeah. Especially when you accidentally have a lower charge or different drainage of bullet, like 115 versus 124. Uh, definitely, the the zero point changes, especially at more distant. Uh, but handgun, I really agree with Matt. Well, you guys want to do one more question? Because that was pretty dumb. <laughs> it was, I thought, I, it was I thought, not a dumb question. I thought you guys would beat on it, but all right. <laughs> I have your new book, and, and on dry firing, I'm wondering what's the best way to employ it. I'm currently a C-class shooter working on uh, the move to B-class with four-month experience. I've started in Chapter 2 after reading and proving I can complete Chapter 1, so level. All right. The, uh, the real question is on dry fire drills, what's the best way to maximize my time? Complete each drill at three yards one day or five the next. Just work on different distances for a week and try another drill. Any information would be greatly appreciated. So this guy's referring to the new book, Practical Shooting Training. Uh, with myself and Joel Park worked on that one. Uh, and he is, uh, I was training at level two, so he's trying to get break into uh, B class. So with that, Joel, what would your recommendations be for dry fire? I was gonna actually kick this to Mr. Kim. I really? see he's already like he was already like taking a breath. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and as Mr. Kim well knows, the the guys uh, with the with the the, the B, appropriate B class part times in there, uh, yes. this guy should have a good idea of how how fast he should be doing these drills. But I think the idea is how to split up his time. So anyway, with that, take it away, Mr. Kim. Okay, uh, this may be a little bit different. Depends on the goal, of course. Some people think in terms of making this classification, or some people think in terms of finishing in that percentage at major match. So one is to get high classification, one is to be at that level shooter. And also depends on your strengths, it's a little bit different, but generally, like in that level two from the book, uh, you should be really focusing on having the gun handling speed down while maintaining the right physical placement. So for example, hitting the right grip, right pressure, shoulders relaxation, that's as a result of after gun handling. So for sure, there's a speed component of the gun handling, yes. So learning the relaxed body, moving uh, body parts fast at a maximum speed, according to the part-time, and actually having the right grip. Grip is, of course, one good example. Uh, or it could be precise stop on the body parts, so having transition to target to target stopping more precisely with the right tension, right grip, etc. Yeah. So really applying those fundamentals. So basically those tension, grip, stuff like that is, let's call that shooting fundamentals. And applying that shooting fundamentals as a result on every single whatever skill it is. So after draw, shooting fundamentals there. Position enter, enter. You're shooting fundamentals there to shoot. Uh, apply, applying that copy-paste, copy-paste to other skills. Yeah, so here... Like, I, I don't think you'd need to uh, do the, like, drills at different, I mean, it's not about, like, the yardages or anything. It's, like, it's working on, like you said, it's putting the shooting fundamentals to the test across this broad mix of different exercises. And I would just say keep on working on stuff so you're not getting bored, you know? Mm -hmm. Especially yeah. trying to get to B class. Like, the par times, uh, once with, with not that much training, drawing and reloading for most people, the par times aren't going to be that hard. It's not about the part times. It's like you said, Mr. Kim, it's about the shooting fundamentals for sure. Yes. Uh, 
yeah, Kim basically left me left nothing left to say as I figured he would. No, no, uh, no but also, <laughs> I knew this was going to happen. Uh, just to draw, just to draw your attention to what level two is and what it is not. Like what Kim's saying, marksmanship fundamentals, gripping the gun properly, like that's where it's at. So, that, and that's why those skills or those drills are in level two. It's not all about shooting on the move or doing go stop a bunch of times. So, I think his question was also about time management. Um, three to five minutes per drill. Think about what your lowest hanging fruit is or what you're the least comfortable on. Work on that drill for three to five minutes. Your hand's getting smoked. I'm getting bored, getting tired. Switch to a different drill. And then a lot of those, you know, those are the core drills uh, that are going to be things you're going to build on down the road. Because yeah. dry fire can be boring, I suppose some people would say. But mixing it up, like I said, every three to five minutes, uh, yeah, try something you haven't done that day. Yeah, yeah. keeping with the, with the dummy rounds in the dry fire mags, right? Yes, you have to. Yes, you must. All right, guys. Well, with that, it's a good time to end. Uh, thank you so much for uh, for listening. If you have any questions for me or the panel, go to bensteger.com. Send us your questions, and we'd love to hear from you. Bye.